1: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Can you believe this? Oh, from side on Say it with your chest. Looking to push tempo here, the Pelicans. Funny. Hold that follow through. He posts, that's right. This is what takes you to another level.
0: What the Pell is up? Everybody, this is Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans with your host, Elliot Clough. We got a great show ahead of us today, folks. Before I tell you about it, while you're listening here, you can scroll down, open up your phone, scroll down to the bottom. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts and hit rate and review, just say, hey, this guy has a dope Pelicans podcast and give us a five star review. That would be awesome and it's greatly, greatly appreciated. Also, make sure to go follow at Elliot Clough on the Twitter. But for today's podcast, we have been talking a little bit about in Pelicans media Sendarius Thornwell and what he will bring to the Pelicans. And for that reason, we got two Clippers writers, of course, Sindarius Thornwell, a former Clipper. We got these two peeps to join us today. Sabrina Merchant of SB Nation has also done some freelancing for The Athletic. And then Garrett Corpening of Sports Illustrated. So we got two high, high quality guests to give us the download on Sindarius. And then, of course, talk a little bit of some more generic NBA stuff as well. And, of course, we got just some more Pelicans content in there as well. But you do not want to miss this episode, folks. It was super, super fun to talk to two Clippers writers. So here it is, my conversation with Sabrina Merchant and Garrett Corpening. And we're joined by Sabrina Merchant of SB Nation. Thanks so much for joining us today, Sabrina. How you doing?
2: I'm doing well you know, as, as well as can be expected in this situation.
0: <laughs> yeah, touche. Fair enough. Well, she's joining us today, like I said, from SB Nation. Covers the Clippers, has covered the Clippers, lives in L.A. for a little while. So, very happy to have her joining us. Talking a little, Cendarius yeah. Thornwell, former Clipper, has just recently signed with the New Orleans Pelicans. So, we're going to little learn a little bit about Cendarius today from her, as well as Garrett. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing it right. Chorpening. We'll, we'll figure it out later once he joins us. But Sabrina does a lot of good work and with SB Nation and she's going to give us the down low here on Cindarius. So, a lot of us know Thornwell from his 2017 March Madness run, his tenure with South Carolina, but we haven't seen a ton of him in the NBA. We did get to see he got some solid minutes for the Clippers in 2017-2018. 15.8 minutes per game. I'm not sure if that sounds right to you. I'm pretty sure. No, that's that cool. is right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. They were and,
2: super injured that year. So.
0: Yes, yeah. And then he came back in 2018, 2019, averaged about half the minutes, did not contribute near to the degree that he did in his rookie season. So what did the Clips get from Thornwell when he was in L.A.? You know, I, I just gave those stats, but what did they get from him in L.A.? What did he contribute to the, to the Clippers?
2: Gotcha. So let's start with the on court stuff. Um, like I said, you know, they were heavily injured his rookie season, so he wasn't projected to get much time because they had Lou Williams and Austin Rivers and Milos Teodosic and Patrick Beverly. So fifth guard in that rotation, you don't really expect to see very many minutes, but then the Clippers had just injuries all over the place. And so that's where you see Thornwell coming in. Uh, he also got a good deal of time with the, the G League team there, anti Clippers, but it's funny, actually, as <laughs> said that, uh, He hated going to the G league because like, they were like wolves there. Um, like everybody knew that he was in NBA. So they would just go after him even harder than like the other guys, which I imagine is like a very common experience with going down to the G league. Mm -hmm. So he said his primary motivation that season was like, just, I can't get set back down again. (laughs) Um, which it it seemed to have worked because 16 (laughs) minutes a game as a rookie for the Clippers is like not an insignificant accomplishment. Um, so if you just like think about like what kind of player he was at South Carolina, uh, I think he played mostly like small ball forward there, um, like power forward. Uh, but he's he's a shooting guard size. He's like six foot five. There's no reason he should be playing power forward in the NBA. It just doesn't have the capacity to guard that position. And that's what he does best is defend. He's even last year when like he got fewer minutes for the Clippers, Doc Rivers would throw him into the game for like end of quarter defensive possessions, which is a very weird role to throw somebody in like completely cold and just like all right make sure they don't get shot up but he's very good at that uh, I I don't really think much of his offense but it's it's kind of a perfect fit with New Orleans because uh, you've got that shooting coach down there Fred Vinson who seems to like have worked magic with Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Wall. and I don't think Cinder Storm going to stick around that long but if he does like that's a very interesting little situation to be in because defensively like he can guard twos and threes at uh, any size twos and threes um, and I know that he didn't get very many minutes last year. That's just because the Clippers were a little bit deeper, but he's really strong and he's, it he doesn't like sacrifice speed for that. So he's very capable of keeping his man in front of him. And uh, the, the jump shot needs some work, definitely. But uh, he's just like a good guy to have around, you know, like not um, like not uncomfortable with being on the bench all the time, which I imagine will be the case in new Orleans, uh, but I'm a fan. Like, Forget the on the court stuff. He was hilarious off the court. Like, he's just <laughs> a really funny guy.
1: Fair enough. Can you um, give us a
0: story about that? Yeah. yeah. So like, yeah. Uh,
2: he used to talk about how like NBA 2K was like the greatest scouting report because like they knew exactly how people went. <laughs> um, he was just like waiting so long for 2K to like raise his jumper rating, but he's like, I know that means that I haven't made it yet because like they're not changing it. Um, he also like, he he and Montrezl Harrell were really good buds on the Clippers. Uh, and they lived pretty close to one another, uh, near the Clippers practice facility, but like, so Sundares would like invite people like over, but he like, Montrez didn't want anybody to know where he lived. So it's like, he used to always like yell at Sundares in the locker room, like stop telling people like where I live.
0: <laughs> well, the Clippers got a lot deeper in the last mm-hmm. year. They're, they're so deep, probably the deepest team in the NBA, uh, at least in some circles that they believe that, but is there any other reason why the Clippers ultimately decided to move on from him this last year?
2: Yeah, it was just a matter of like, they needed the roster spot, you know? Um, you have Paul George, you have Landry Shamit, you have Patrick Beverly, you have Lou Williams, like another shooting guard and one who actually can't shoot, doesn't really provide a whole ton of value. Uh, and it was also just like a fit thing, because when you have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, you want to surround them with shooters. Um, extra wing defense is kind of a luxury when those two are your starting two and three, so the fit didn't make a lot of sense and he he can't shoot, right? So that uh, just it was a numbers game more than anything. I know sure. they really liked him there. Yeah.
0: Right. If there was anybody on the roster as it currently sits that I mean, do you think he could take anybody's spot that's on the roster? I mean, I'm looking at Amir Coffee. I've never heard of that <laughs> dude.
2: <laughs> oh, he's a two A. He's a two
0: A. Oh, okay. Well, okay. there you go. Okay. Yeah, I think but this it-
2: is a thermos – 30 year in the league so i'm not sure he's like eligible for two anymore i don't actually okay. know that works
0: okay yeah. well if you were to look at the roster and say mm-hmm. sendarius could maybe take that guy's spot is there anybody on that on the roster as it currently sits not really no? okay fair <laughs> no.
2: enough maybe like patrick patterson but um yeah. he's just like fills fills a different role uh as a power forward which the clippers are like a little less deep at than their guard positions so, yeah.
0: sure now what does thornwell bring to the pels over the next few games assuming he does get some playing time the the consensus we we put up a poll for for our fans to engage with us and and we'll get to that in that second segment with garrett but 65% of them are thinking he's going to get 0 to 5 minutes per game is that what you're thinking as well
2: yeah so i mean i guess it kind of depends on like how alvin gentry wants to run this right because so you guys are starting what lonzo and drew right now yes Okay, so if you're starting Lonzo and Drew, um, those are both, like, excellent defensive guards. You don't really <laughs> need Cinder his in there. Right. Uh, I mean, I guess, like, he's a good enough backup. He's he's not going to de- displace Frank Jackson because, like, Frank's actually a point guard, and they have a lot invested in Akil Alexander-Walker, so that's – who doesn't even play, so that's not really an issue. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it's just the kind of thing where, like, if there is a wing that's giving the Pelicans difficulty, you know, that's someone you can put on him for defense, like – You could put him next to J.J. Reddick, and that's like a nice little yin and yang there because they literally do the exact opposites of each other. (laughs) Right. Yeah.
0: Right. Okay. And the big need for the Pels right now is wing defense, not perimeter. Right, right. (laughs) Well, wing defense. But what we're looking for on this roster, as it currently sits, we've talked about it a lot on this Mm -hmm. podcast, is basically a replacement for Kenrich Williams, Kenny Hustle, because That dude could not hit water if he fell out of a boat. He really I lo- could not. I, lo- <laughs> I love Kenny Hustle. I think he got some really quality minutes early on in the season and then just fell off a cliff later on. What we're looking for is a guy who can guard some of the best three fours in the league. So, you know, I mean, the – Asked to stop a guy like LeBron and Giannis is, is a little bit much, but a guy mm-hmm. who can defend them at least better than what, you know, our best defender and Drew can because Drew yeah. doesn't really stack up to size with yeah. them. Do you think Sendarius can can do, I mean, anything remotely close to that? I, mean, I think he can guard better... threes. Okay, I mean, go ahead. I think
2: he can guard threes, but uh, asking him to be like a forward defender is probably too much. Um, which the problem with like guys like LeBron and Giannis, like you mentioned, they're more three, fours than they are just threes, you know? Uh, so that's, that's probably not what you want to be using Thornwell for. Uh, he's, he's like bigger than you'd expect, not, uh, height wise, just like stronger than you'd expect. So it's not the worst thing in the world, but like, I think something has gone wrong if the Pelicans use Thornwell in defensive situation instead of holiday.
0: Sure. And I mean, you throw in Zoe in there, who's going to be guarding point guards. And I mean, mm-hmm. he's just a talented guy uh, on the defensive side of the ball. Ingram's getting better. You know, he's not all defense by any means. No, but, no. But, <laughs> <laughs> but he is getting. He has better. a
2: really big offensive responsibility. Too,
0: yeah, so. exactly, exactly. And then of course, Derek Favors, one of the he's a he's a top tiered rim protector on, on I would the agree with that. side yeah. of the ball. Uh, he's lost a step, is what it looks like. Apparently, he's. I mean, he looks like an old 28-year-old. I don't know how much Pelicans you've been able to see, but running up and I feel down like the like they're court. always
2: better when Favors is on the court.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just not getting a ton of minutes just because, I mean, he's he's getting a little bit older, and uh, he's playing 24 minutes a game, and it looks like they're probably trying to get Jackson Hayes some minutes in there. Mm-hmm. In the playoffs, probably not so much. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, you got the rim protector there in, in Favors as well. Now, if, if Thornwell were to get – somehow injuries, whatever, five to 15 minutes a game is, is the second option that got the most votes. I put in 15 plus minutes just to see if anybody would throw (laughs) it in there. 30% of the vote went to the guys who said five to 15 and literally zero percent of people voted 15 plus. But if he does step in and take minutes away from somebody, if he does step in and take minutes um, maybe all of the minutes from anybody highly doubtful, but maybe (laughs) if he were to step in and take minutes from anyone, Is there anyone that you can think of off the top of your head, looking at the Pelicans' roster, that he would take minutes to fill that defensive role? My my first thought is Etwan Moore, just because he's a little bit older, not a great defender, but he does—he's obviously a way better shooter than Thornwell.
2: Yeah, I guess it just like depends on what you're looking for in those minutes, because like you mentioned, you know, Etwan Moore is definitely more of an offensive player. Uh, Like, I guess it's got to be like him or Frank, but. then you'd have to have like Ingram on the floor so that you have a ball handler because that's not Thornwell's role. Um, yeah, I, I, I only really see him getting minutes if like there's foul trouble or, you know, an injury of some sort, which you know, knock on what doesn't happen. But it's it's gotta be like a specific thing where like someone's just getting torched over and over again. And they're like, okay, well we need to defensive replacement and like Reddick's not that guy. Moore's not that guy. So let's try Thornwall.
0: <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So what kind of minutes you said he got minutes for the defensive end of the floor when he mm-hmm. was with the Clippers at the end of quarters. Is that, is that what you saw from them?
2: Yeah, it was very strange. Um, like he, he wasn't really in the rotation. So the the Clippers basically ran like two separate five man units last year and he wasn't in either of those, but he, like doc would literally like, you know, the opposing team would have the ball with like 20 seconds left and he's like, all right. sin, let's get in there and you know, just make sure they don't score. <laughs> like, Fair was, enough. I, it, those are seem like terrible positions to be put in, but he had one of the best defensive ratings on the Clippers last year, and it didn't feel very fluky. You know, like, every time he was in the game, the offense, like, took a dive. But <laughs> um, he's, he's very good at guarding his man. Like, that's what he does. Uh, I think he still has some long-term project potential. Like, I think he's already 25 or maybe turning 26, but uh, it's the kind of thing where, like, he always passes out of open jump shots, so, like, he kind of kills your spacing. Mm. But... New Orleans is kind of team where I think there's enough offense around him that, like, you wouldn't be screwed if, like, he had to play some minutes. Uh, but, yeah, it's you're not expecting anything from him from the offensive end.
0: Sure. Now, to move on a little bit from strictly Cindarius Thornwell, because <laughs> this is a Pelicans podcast, do you have any expectations for the Pelicans going into the remainder of this season? What do you, what do you think they're capable of?
2: So, if the season had continued as is, I, I think they would have been, like, a heavy favorite for the eighth seed, which is a weird thing to say for a team that was three and a half games out, but like that schedule, my goodness. Yeah. Like it was so easy. (laughs) Um, I still think they're the odds on favorite to get into that playing game. I don't think they're going to like be the eight seed going into that, but I think they will be the nine seed and, you know, get to that matchup against Memphis. That's like the most likely outcome. Uh, It's not the one I'm rooting for. Okay. (laughs) I think it's the most likely outcome. Sure. Uh, And I would expect them beat memphis in that game like i think what was the last time they played was martin luther king day and like they just laid waste to them
0: yeah i mean it feels like, jackson, a, like a lifetime
2: ago <laughs> right
0: jaron jackson didn't play okay I'm trying to think of yeah. i think they had a couple other injuries gotcha. guys just side-lined, so
2: yeah uh i mean to me they're the best team like top to bottom of the remaining like eight and onwards teams but they're also so young other than holiday that you just can't really rely on that consistency, like. I don't know the, if they've ever like beaten a Western like a team with a winning record on the road, which obviously like these aren't technically road games, but it's, um, it's still like, a, it's still something to ask for players who like haven't been put in that position before. Sure. My, my expectation is that they will get to the playing game and they will make it to the eighth seed and then not do very well against the Lakers, but.
0: <laughs> Touche. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's like a good place to be. Like you didn't trade Anthony Davis and expect to be in the eight seed the next season. Like that wasn't what you went into the season thinking. And, to get there, like even in this weird random setup, still a pretty good accomplishment.
0: Sure. And considering the seven and 23 start and (laughs) just the chaos that this team has been through, we talked about it with Ali Cosell and I I wrote an article about it, but this team, I mean, youth turnovers, you know, Mm -hmm. and then Drew, Hasn't necessarily gotten into – he doesn't necessarily look super comfortable out there. Had some turnovers to boot with, with the youth. Mm-hmm. Lots of injuries. Derek favors his, his mom passing away. Zion not coming until January. So what seems to be what, – what Ollie and I have talked about is that this craziness, where, where we're at in the NBA right now, what it's going to look like, is it favors the Pelicans just because it's all so foreign to everybody <laughs> and they've had such a crazy season so far.
2: Yeah, that seems fair. I mean, uh, I can't say that, like, I've ever thought of New Orleans as, like, a big home court advantage for basketball teams. Uh, that's, like, no disrespect to New Orleans fans. It seems like it's You're a really fine. good home court advantage for Saints fans. But <laughs> I've never gotten that feeling for the Pelicans. So it's not like they're losing out on a lot there. Uh, but I know I know, Ingram said that he felt, like, a little uncomfortable at the whole – or not uncomfortable, but, like, he was a little suspicious of the setup there. But, right. Uh, it's just like they were on a really nice stretch before the season stopped and like you can say that about a lot of teams I think even the Sacramento Kings felt that way you know going into the end of the season and then we just have no idea what to make of that momentum right like is is it a good thing that Zion had all this time off or is it a bad thing that like he was slowly ramping up and then had to completely stop that you know uh, I, which there's so many questions we have no
0: <laughs> idea yeah, yeah. <laughs> With Brandon Ingram saying that, that kind of contradicts what basically everybody else said on the Pelicans roster with the media mm-hmm. availability. Zion seems to trust it. Josh Hart does. I mean, I absolutely think Brandon Ingram's thoughts were justified. He got some criticism for it. How do you feel about that?
2: Oh, I think it was completely justified. Like, this is this is the weirdest thing that's ever happened to anybody in their lifetimes. And I know he said, like, you know, I'm from Kinston, Like, this stuff just rolls off of <laughs> me. Like, it's... It'd be unexpected. It'd be weird if it didn't roll off. Like, like it's it's so weird. <laughs> like, right. They're going to live in this bubble for Pelicans. Let's say they you know get the first round of the playoffs. That's like six weeks. That's an unprecedented amount of time away from your home, away from your families. Like, uh, not they're not going to be able to allow anybody, like any of their partners or kids, are going to come at that point. Uh, yes, technically, like the NBA has secured this location, but we don't know if players are going to bring in the virus. Like, it's it's all really sketchy. I, I personally believe that the NBA's system is safer than what the players are doing on their own, just based on like the number of positive test cases we've gotten, you know, which I think is higher than the national average from the NBA's testing. Mm. But I mean, it's, it's very strange. It's like, and to stop, start playing so quickly after this like long period of downtime. Uh, I totally get where Brandon's coming from. I hope that he gets comfortable soon because he's, he's having a really nice season. <laughs>
0: He was. Yeah. 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 Do you think this is, I mean, I personally don't think so, but obviously I'm biased. Do you Mm -hmm. think this is the start of an ascent for Brandon Ingram? Do you think he becomes an all NBA player? Do you think he becomes a perennial all-star?
2: So, I mean, I had really high hopes for Brandon because uh... I mean, I went to Duke. Uh, I'm a big Ingram fan. Um, I also live in LA, so I've spent a lot of time watching Ingram over the last few years. Uh, I feel like between the Duke and LA thing, like the Pelicans roster is right up my alley. Yeah, <laughs> but,
0: that, is so uh, yeah. that is so true. That's so true.
2: But yeah, I think the, the bugaboo with him was just, it was a really hard fit next to LeBron in Los Angeles. And it kind of diminished all of the growth that he was able to make just because it was not the right situation for him to be a lead ball handler, you know, obviously next to Ron. I, now that he has that jump shot, like I'd like to see it last for more than one season. um, Because I feel like we all got into this thing with Darren Fox last year. Like, Oh, if he's going to shoot 37% on threes, like, then this guy's unstoppable. And lo and behold, he's not shooting 37% on threes. Uh, So I, I'm going to need another year of data here to see if like the free throws, the three point percentage is sustainable, but like, there's no reason to believe like with his measurables, uh, and the defensive potential you saw before this season, I'm not going to give him any credit for how good he's been. <laughs> Let's say how not good he's been defensively in New Orleans. Uh, I think all of the tools are there. And he's so young, but he's like 22 years old. Um, yeah. I, I don't think there's any reason why he shouldn't be all NBA worthy in like 25, 26.
0: I definitely, I'm not going to lie. Before I started covering the Pelicans, I, I just didn't think he was going to be anything more than that 17 and like six kind of guy do you think I mean prior to his his arriving in New Orleans do you think mm-hmm. that's justified I mean I just didn't see he didn't have anybody else that could take a little bit of the pressure off there wasn't a second scorer before LeBron yeah. and then LeBron mm-hmm. came in and took over so. yeah yeah
2: no I think that's very true uh, Brandon's the kind of guy where like he he doesn't fill up a box score as much as you would want him to like he's got super long arms but he's not getting steals or blocks and uh, he doesn't rebound the ball particularly well for his position it's not that like he doesn't box out well or anything. It's just like the box score stats are not there for Ingram. So it's the kind of thing where you have to watch him on a regular basis to see what he's doing that works. And I can totally understand why you wouldn't want to watch a Lakers team that was just a trash fire for the <laughs> last few seasons, right? Um, so yeah, it's the kind of thing where you you have to be invested in his day to day progression to see where the improvements coming from. And I understand why a lot of people were not that invested in Ingram because again. A terrible team in Los Angeles. Okay.
0: So in that last uh, media availability session that BI had, mm-hmm. well, prior to that, we heard from Griff that BI and Lonzo wanted to stick around New Orleans long-term. And mm-hmm. then BI came out and said, well, we'll find out at the end of the season. <laughs> do, do you think he sticks around in New Orleans? I mean, it's clear that this is such a, such a better fit than Los Angeles was just yeah. in terms of well, won the roster like we just mm-hmm. mentioned. But, I mean, he's from Kinston. He he's not he's not a big big city guy. He he was not necessarily. I wouldn't say he wasn't comfortable in L. A., but it just wasn't for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, New Orleans seems to be almost a perfect fit. Still gets to play with Lonzo. Still gets to play with Josh. Um, and then you know playing with Zion certainly doesn't hurt. <laughs> Do you think he's going to sign that if the Pelicans don't offer him a max contract this offseason? I will be shocked. Do you think he will sign a max? Do you think he'll sign a contract?
2: Yeah, yeah. I think New he's signing the max. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if Pelicans don't offer him a max, then, like, what the hell are they doing? Yeah, Because, I mean, there's – any team would be like Atlanta, you know, would swoop right in, offer him a full max. That's another, like, not too far from North Carolina situation. Right. Uh, But I think just, like, the way he's developed this year, it would make sense for him to want to stay in New Orleans in that environment. Um, I actually don't love the fit with Zion as much as you might think uh, just because I feel like Ingram is going to, like, slot into being a power forward at some point. And I don't think Zion is defensively ready to be a center yet.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, no, no, yeah,
2: it's <laughs> <laughs> not right. No, uh, but I mean, uh, then like Ingram could also still be a small forward. I just uh, I don't I don't know if that fit is as clean now. But obviously, like they're both so young, and there's so much time for them to grow their games. But uh, that's like my only like little hiccup there. But that's it's okay. a very minor thing. Yeah.
0: Okay. Now I just saw this on Twitter fairly recently as well. Uh, this was was a little bit of a cycle coming. I mean, it might've been from one account. I don't know, but it was, you could pick two players on the roster for the Pelicans to go forward with. Mm -hmm. Um, And I saw it was a cycle of Zion paired with either B.I., Drew, or, or Zoe. Mm -hmm. If you had to pick between those three to go with Zion long-term, would it be B.I.? Would it be the other, one of the other two?
2: Yeah. So just in terms of like, uh, ceiling it would have to be either Lonzo or Ingram because Drew is older and uh I I don't have the same love for those rookies that like I do for Lonzo and Ingram I mean they're both number two picks and Jackson Hayes and Walker were obviously like much lower in the draft uh despite everything I just said about that Ingram Zion fit I just think Ingram's offensive potential is so much better than Lonzo's (laughs) right
0: we talked about get
2: like that you know offensive initiator, uh, which as much as I love Lonzo's game, that's just not what he is. I don't think he's ever going to be a dynamic scorer. It's just so much more valuable to have a player of the type that Inger is.
0: Right. And we talked about it a little bit on this last podcast with Kevin Varias of the Bird Rights, was that Zoe, he doesn't necessarily have a high ceiling offensively in terms of scoring. He's a great mm-hmm. distributor. Uh, he's a pass first guard, which is fantastic with guys like Zion, guys B.I., but it's about just having a little more confidence to pull the trigger because he'll shoot a three when he's wide open. And his yeah. obviously his uh, percentage has gone way up with Fred Vincent, doing wonders mm-hmm. with him and B.I. Do you, do you think he can make another step and at least become a little bit more confident with attacking the basket, being opposite Zion, being opposite B.I.?
2: Yeah, that's what's always killed me about Lonzo is that – it's it's not so much that he's a terrible shooter it's that the fact that he can't shoot free throws prevents him from wanting to like get the basket and you know earn contact uh i just don't think it's his mentality to want to be that kind of player um you know who's a number one option on offense not that he needs to be a number one option on offense but he has to initiate his own you know he has to call his number more often for him to like be the kind of point guard who can be you know the best or the second best player on a championship team uh i I just don't see that for him like i think he does so many things well that he's going to be an above average player at that position i just i don't think he's ever going to be a number one scorer
0: there's just something lacking i I think it's mental i mean i don't think he's going to be a number one scorer either yeah i just think he needs to to be more of that. gets a little bit more of that dog in him that's saying i'm going to score here you know
2: i don't even love the way like he runs pick and rolls which is like yeah, I don't know if that how much better that's gotten in New Orleans, but it was it was real bad in Los Angeles. Uh, uh, there's just so many different ways that like you can create your own offense, and Lonzo just only seems to like the spot up long three pointer yep. variety, you know, uh, which I would say sometimes he was too confident in that. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's got more to back it up now so that's good
0: (laughs) sure there has been an element of his game that I've noticed this year it it became apparent in a win that the Pelicans had over the Pistons early which Mm -hmm. you know the Pistons but um, earlier on this year it was I mean the starting lineup was just depleted it was before Zion came back I believe Derek was still out JJ was hurt BI was hurt so like Jaleel Okafor yeah Jaleel Okafor (laughs) got a ton of minutes and the Pels uh were up pretty big for a little while and then almost lost it. They, I think it went into overtime. And Zoe really dug his heels in and, and played confident and, and sealed it off with the ability to distribute the ball and, and not turn the ball over. So I think it's there. I mean, I, at, least, at least confidence in the clutch could hopefully translate to something else. I, I think he's capable of it.
2: Yeah, I, I think so too. Like there were flashes of that in Los Angeles. Um, he had this one game against the Spurs – uh where he just like was raining threes left and right um and it wasn't just like spot ups like he was pulling up you know like he was just coming down and like taking early shot clock threes uh uh, i just wouldn't bank on it like it doesn't seem like the most likely outcome for me that he'll become that kind of scorer which is fine like he's a hell of a defender that law partnership with him and time is just gonna be unbelievable and just the hit-aheads too like even the way they run off of misses is so, I mean the one makes in New Orleans is it's devastating to guard like they play so fast and that's just perfect for the two of them
0: which assuming fitness will be huge in Orlando. yeah huge yeah. so to, to ask you a few questions about the Clippers your specialty uh sure. we, we we now know that Landry Schmidt tested positive for for the virus and the Clips practice facility was shut down I saw an article about this just before we, we started talking was that don't count Shemette out for Orlando. Did, did, are you, are you on that? Are you on that boat? Are, are,
2: yeah. Yeah. That? I mean uh, the way the Clippers are talking is that they fully expect him to just go through the quarantine protocol and then come join them later. Uh, they're they've no intention of signing a replacement player. Uh, Shame minutes. have kind of gone down anyway. Uh, with like the return of Paul George and Reggie Jackson coming over. So, I mean, he's not like the most important player for the Clippers, but I just, I can't see them replacing him with someone they're, they, they like him too much to not bring to Orlando.
0: Right. Right. And I mean, it's just, I mean, I like Landry Schmidt a lot. Uh, he's not, I mean, right. Like you said, they don't need him by any means, but he's right. just another, he's just another piece that adds that depth, arguably the most deep team in mm-hmm. the NBA are the Clippers. Like I said, like I said, you cover them, but are they your favorite to win the title going into Orlando?
2: I still think it's Milwaukee. Um, I haven't really been impressed with the way the Clippers have handled the Bucs uh, over their two games, which admittedly only one of them involved Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, so it's a very, very small sample. And we obviously saw what Kawhi did against the Bucks last year. So, uh, you know, <laughs> take it with a grain of salt, I guess. But I, I think Milwaukee's the favorite uh, just because I haven't seen anybody convincingly guard Giannis. For meaningful stretches.
0: Okay. Is there any other difference for the Bucks this year as opposed to last year, other than the fact that they won't be running into Kawhi at least until the finals. At least and until like, the finals. Right. Yeah. And like you said, Giannis is just on another level.
2: Yeah. I mean, I the hope would just be that that was just year one with Bud and Giannis and that setup, and so they weren't as equipped to make adjustments in the playoffs as they will be this year. I love Eric Bledsoe. I. I have to believe that eventually he'll be good in the playoffs. (laughs) Um, He was so good with the Clippers back in the day. I mean, those were obviously much lower stakes series, and he had a much smaller role. Uh, I think he kind of showed some growth at least between 2018 and 2019 in terms of his defensive ability. Like he wasn't just getting eaten alive by Terry Rozier, you know. But I just think that like one more year of being in that system just makes them much more comfortable and able to react better.
0: There you go. Awesome stuff from Sabrina Merchant of SB Nation. Thanks so much for joining us, Sabrina.
2: Yeah, happy to talk Pelicans. It's like the the best non LA team to talk about.
0: (laughs) We appreciate you stopping by. Hey, folks, stick around for our second conversation of today's podcast with Garrett Sharpening. Hey, Pel's fans. Going to take a quick break here. I want to remind you, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, make sure you leave a five-star rate and review. That really helps us out here on the podcast. Only takes a couple seconds if you want to do that. Once again, if you are a fan, if you are an avid listener of Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans, make sure to do that. Make sure to hit the follow button. That really, really, really helps us out. Now, let's get back to the podcast. And we're joined by Garrett Corpening. We figured it out. It is Corpening. So we got that We got that settled going forward. Garrett Corpening from Sports Illustrated. Garrett, how you doing today? I'm doing well, man. How are you? I am great. We really appreciate you stopping by, taking a little bit of time. Like I said before we started recording, the world is absolutely nutso at the moment. So we definitely appreciate it. So to dive right in. Looking at Cindarius Thornwell, what he can contribute to the Pelicans, what do you think he, he brings to the Pels over these next few games, assuming he does get a little bit of time?
1: Well, I think you talk about Cindarius. he's someone that is, he prioritizes defense, uh, and he's also a very versatile defender. Um, I know he's played, I think, primarily shooting guard and small forward in college. Uh, when he was with the Clippers a couple seasons ago, he defended point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward. Um, had a game against the Cavaliers where he was very effective against LeBron James. Um, he In his second season, the Clippers, he kind of took a step back a little bit. There was less of a need for him on the team. Um, he's not going to be an insane contributor on offense. Uh, if he gets the time and he gets you know the role to do so, he can hit a few threes and that sort of thing. Uh, he's pretty physical and aggressive for his size, but overall this is someone that you're bringing in to keep a uh, pretty steady Presence on defense. Especially
0: that's what we heard a lot from from Sabrina as well in that first segment. She said that when he was with the Clippers, a lot of what he did was he'd come in in those final minutes of a quarter and finish it out for the defensive side of the floor. Do you think that is something of value that the Pelicans can use? Do you think that's? I mean, it's not traditional. We don't typically see that, but. Do you, do you think that's something of value that the Pelicans can use, just maybe for a little bit of energy or, or something like that in, in Orlando?
1: Well, I think it's useful, yeah. I mean, even if it's just, you know, for a few minutes a game and that sort of thing, any bit of extra defensive help can make a big difference. Uh, I know New Orleans isn't a particularly great defensive team this season. Uh, so even if it is just for a few minutes end of the quarter, uh, apply some extra pressure on the player, maybe if they have a few fouls, um, he can definitely be of service
0: sure and you know they got Lonzo they got Drew so so perimeter defense isn't necessarily the biggest struggle it's just about that that three four and then of course they got Derek Favors at the five as well but that three four is really where they where they get hammered you know look at those games with LeBron playing and and Giannis and we've talked about that a lot on this podcast like I said in that first segment Uh, and, and we'll get into that in a little bit here but the Pelicans basically have their eight nine guys that they that they play that they have played this season. Of course, guys get time if there's injuries, but we had a poll here on on uh, on my Twitter asking Pelicans fans as to how much time they think he gets going into Orlando. The consensus: about sixty five percent of them said that between zero to five minutes is what they're thinking he's gonna get. Thirty ish percent said five to 15 and then nobody said 15 plus so uh it was basically a consensus from from our three fans that responded to the poll saints and pels eagles fan in louisiana and noah hunter they all kind of came together to say that's what they would prefer noah believes him to be a solid option should the pels need him but that zero to five minutes is really what they're thinking Do, do you think he could get any more time than that looking at the pelicans roster as it currently sits
1: I think he could. I think it might depend on the situation. Uh, If you are in a situation where you need some quick defense like that, I could definitely see him getting 5, 10, 15 minutes a game, depending on the matchup. But if it's a game where you're not particularly concerned about how much the opposing team is going to score, he'll definitely be more on the lower end of that spectrum, talking more 0-5 to minutes.
0: I mean, looking at their matchup with Washington right now, (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised if he played 20+. plus.
1: And that's a good point too. I think if you're talking about a team like that, it's so depleted and you want to develop those younger guys, see if maybe they get a chance to come back next season, uh, that'd be a good spot for Thornwell as well.
0: So looking at the potential for for Thornwell to contribute, this eight-game stretch. Gentry comes from the D'Antoni coaching tree and the head of the defense, Jeff Bezelik, installed the defense that Thornwell is coming from with the Rio Grande Valley vipers got that from Preston Ellis's article on the bird rights don't want to say that I came up with that on my own but it looks like he's gonna fit right in as to what the pelicans run how big of a factor do you think that is in his playing time I don't know I'm assuming you didn't know that because I didn't know that prior to reading the article but the fact that he has that knowledge the fact that he's not just being thrown into a system that he hasn't been a part of before how much how much do you think that factors in his playing time
1: well, I will say I didn't know about that either. That's a very cool little tidbit there. Um, I think because he is familiar with the system, he's someone that could step in right away in those first couple of games and make an impact as opposed to having to you know sit around a little bit more and get more familiar with the team and how the system and how that all works together. Um, so he could be someone that comes in, I think, right away and makes a little bit of an impact in those first few games. It
0: looks like he took a, a, he, his shooting took a little bit of a dip in his second year in L.A., In the little time that he did get, do you see him being able to put that shot together? I mean, Fred Vinson has been lauded by the NBA for what he's done for Lonzo's jump shot, Brandon Ingram's jump shot. He'll clearly need to provide something other than just defense. He'll need to be able to make shots. I mean, we're going to talk about Kenny Hustle here in a second. The fact that he could not do that for the Pelicans, and that's why he's seen much, much less of a role. But do you see him being able to put a shot together?
1: I think he definitely could. I think the potential is there, especially just based on what we saw this first season in L.A. Um, but looking at his G League staff, I did notice that he took three and a half threes a game this season with Rio Grande, uh, connected on 29% of his attempts. So that's a little bit worrying, the fact that it's not getting much better uh, in those, since he shot uh, close to 40% in his first season in L.A. Um, but I think with you know the right amount of time, right amount development and that kind of stuff. He could be someone that knocks down at like a 35, 36% clip.
0: Right. That's, I mean, he's, he's gotta get up to that value to that, to that percentage around there. he doesn't necessarily need to shoot three and a half threes per game. If he puts up two, you know, two to three, I, I think that's really where the Pelicans could get a lot of value right there. Is there any way, do you think he could earn a spot on this roster in, in the coming year? Because, the Pelicans have that need right at that 3-4 defender position and a guy who can shoot the ball. Do you think he can earn a spot on, on this roster? Do you think that they go to the uh, go to free agency, go to the draft, or do you think Thorn- Thornwell can earn this position?
1: I think he definitely has a chance. I mean, I want to kind of go back to the Clippers and talk about where he comes from with this team. Some of his mentors in this team, you're talking guys like Montrezl, Patrick Beverly, guys who hustle super hard and play super hard and compete as hard as they can regardless of who they're messed up with or the opponent is, no matter what. Um, so I think he kind of has that same blood in him where he's someone who competes really hard, uh, someone who wants to win and do whatever he can to stay on the floor and earn a spot. Uh, he also spent a year out of the NBA this past season, so I think now that he has an opportunity, that might drive him to play even harder and work even harder for this spot. Um, I think New Orleans could be a good spot for him if they need someone that you know can be a versatile defender on the perimeter – Uh, You mentioned earlier someone that can defend the three and the four and that kind of stuff. Um, He's definitely physical enough. He plays hard enough. I think if he wants it, he could definitely earn a spot on this team.
0: Sounds a lot like Josh Hart. Would you, would you agree with that?
1: I'd say so. Yeah. Someone who definitely high effort player for sure.
0: So you mentioned he's he's a gritty guy. He's a, he's a tenacious type of player. Get after those loose balls, get rebounds, play defense. What the Pelicans Really need at that three four position. What I believe they need, and and what has seemed to be a consensus with Pelicans media, Pelicans fans, is they need that six eight ish sort of beefy guy who can who can guard, not necessarily stop, but guard that LeBron, the the Giannis on the other teams. You know, guys like Demar DeRozan. Because while Jru is an excellent defender for his size, he's he's just not quite to the to the height. He doesn't have the wingspan to to guard guys like this. Does Thornwell have the capability to be that guy for them? You, you talked about it a little bit that he could guard threes and fours, but do you think he can be that guy in their future?
1: You know, it's, it's difficult because like you mentioned with Holiday, Thornwell is, you know, he's 6'5". He is limited by his size of his first position. Um, so he might struggle to defend threes and fours routinely. Um, he's... At 215 as well, maybe he could bulk up a bit, put up some extra pounds to help, you know, at least slow down guys like LeBron and the guys like Giannis Antetokounmpo and that sort of thing. Um, I don't know if he could be that guy full-time, If that could be something he becomes. Um, it's just, that's kind of a shot in the dark. Sure, fair enough. I, I mean, I... <laughs>
0: I don't see it happening just because he. I mean, he doesn't have the, the quite the pedigree, uh, but but I see him being a guy who can come off the bench and maybe replace a guy like that who who very well may be in the starting lineup.
1: Uh, that's, that's probably a better a better fit for him to long term.
0: Now, in looking for a player who can do that, one that I've been mentioning a lot on this podcast is Mo Harkless, another former L.A. Clipper. What do you think of that?
1: You know, I like Mo a lot. Um, I think he made a really great impact with the Clippers team uh, earlier this season before he was traded New York. Uh, he definitely was a great defender, great perimeter defender, uh, has the size you're looking for, uh, but also has the same issue with Thromwell where he's not a super consistent three-point shooter, if that's the thing you're looking for. Um, I know he shot, I think, around 30% of Clippers this season. And there were a lot of times when you have Kawhi and Paul George on the floor and Hartless out there as well. And what the opposing team would do was sag off of Harkless, sometimes even double team Paul George or Kawhi, because he was essentially a non factor on that end. Uh he's a great slasher, he's great at the rim, a great finisher at the rim, um, very, very good defensive player. But if you're looking for someone that can finish, you know, pretty routinely, uh efficiently from three point range, then Harkless probably isn't that guy.
0: Fair enough. I'm definitely gonna take that into account later on. The the difference here is that so so looking at Moe's three point percentage this year, 28%. Obviously that's a huge dip from early. I mean, he was shooting 41% for, for Portland in 2017, 2018. So, so quite a bit of a dip, but <laughs> I didn't think, uh, it would be 28% because Kenny Hustle is shooting 26% from three this year. And also let's see here, 37% from the line. So Moe was shooting 63%. So, you know, do what you can. Hopefully, um, if they do decide to go out and get Mo Harkless, Fred Vincent can do some work with him on that jump shot. I, I don't want to make the guy a miracle worker, but he did fix Lonzo Ball's jump shot. I think that's pretty impressive. I'd say so. <laughs> so, to continue a little bit of, uh, of the Pelicans conversation, this is more this is more generic. Drew Holiday has been a cornerstone piece for the Pelicans for the last few years. Did sign that big contract back in, back in 2017 under the assumption that Anthony Davis was going to be sticking around long-term, and that turned out to not be the case. Uh, I, I love Drew. I think, I mean, it's been well-established. He's he's an awesome human being. I mean, considering everything that he went through with his wife, the fact that he's decided to stick around New Orleans, that he wants to be a Pelican, and that he stuck around through this complete overhaul of of the Pelicans roster. Now, Bleacher Report put out a top 10 shooting guards list in the NBA, and they had Drew at number five, Devin Booker at number six. And that sparked a conversation with some Pelicans fans. I didn't interject myself, but they said that they thought that Devin Booker would be a better fit for this roster in in New Orleans as opposed to Drew. Who would you take for, for the Pelicans roster? Who would be your first choice?
1: You know, personally, I think I'd go with Booker. Um, I don't know. I, I love Pollard, but the next guy. I think he's a fantastic defender. Um, but I think if you really want to go all in on the offense with this team, uh, Booker is definitely the guy, someone that could convert from all areas of the court. Uh, he's young. He kind of fits in with the rest of, you know, this team's young core and that kind of thing. Um, I, I could see Booker being a good fit on this roster. Sure.
0: I I, I considered the future there as well. But it's just about defense. Now, if they could get Booker, in, and our last guest, Kevin Barius from the Bird Rights, said that he would love to have Michael Bridges on on the roster from, from Phoenix. So maybe a trade for, for Drew and Devin Booker, and then maybe some, some moving around and, and get Michael Bridges as well could happen. But if they were able to acquire Booker one way or another and get a defensive piece like Mo Harkless, I'd feel more comfortable with that. Drew is just clear, in a way, the best defender on this team. So how do you think Booker and, and Ingram could, do, do you think Booker and Ingram could play side by side and, you know, throw in Zion in there as well?
1: That might be a little bit difficult. I mean, you have a lot of guys there that want the ball in their hands. Um, I'm not sure how they coexist.
0: Yeah. I, I don't think that would, that would work too particularly well. I mean, you got Lonzo who's, and, it, and he's just, you know, top tier in terms of distributing the ball. Does an excellent, excellent job of that. Also, a great defender for them. We, we talked about this with Sabrina as well in the first segment about Landry Shamet. He tested positive for the virus uh, this, this last week or two and, and the clips practice facility was also shut down. What does this mean for Shamet? What does this mean for the Clippers? Do you think he rejoins the roster?
1: Fortunately, I do think he does. Um, there's been no indication so far that he is going to sit out for the rest of the season. Uh, I think the intention is to travel down and join the team in New Orlando in a few weeks once he's cleared to do so. Um, and that's a really great thing. Sham is a terrific three-point shooter. I, I wrote about him earlier today. Uh, no one on the Clippers takes or makes more threes per game than Sham besides uh, Paul George. So you're talking about one of the best three-point shooters by volume in the NBA, and then Sham right there beneath him. Um, he was especially great with Clippers last season. After he has traded uh, from Philadelphia, he played in 23 games with LA and shot like that 45% from three. Uh, that number, like I said, is down to 39% this season. Um, so he's someone that I think is a, first of all, a terrific floor spacer, someone that can play either in the starting rotation or off the bench. Uh, either way, you're going to get someone that can come straight in and make a bunch of three pointers uh, just, you know, in bunches.
0: Right. And he's just another piece that makes the Clippers so, so deep. And that makes them such a contender for the
1: NBA title. Absolutely. I think uh, having Sham on that team along with... You know, I, there was a thing earlier this season when Reggie Jackson first came in uh, where people were a little bit concerned about Sham and Lou and Reggie off the bench at the same time. Uh, those guys, I think, all three together have done... It's been, It's only been nine games, but those three guys together have done a really great job um, as far as scoring the basketball goes, shooting the basketball goes. Uh, I want to say that so far Reggie is shooting, I think, close to 40% from three uh, with L.A. In the eight games that Lou Williams has played with Reggie, uh, he's shooting close to 50% from three in those games. Uh, and Shane is right there with him. So having three guys like that that can all score with ease in three-point range. Then you have someone like Michael Green as well off the bench who is a stretch four. Um, yeah, you talked about the depth of this team. Those three guys especially, I think, do a whole lot for this Clippers team that uh, doesn't get talked about a whole lot.
0: That's huge, and factor in that Avery Bradley is out, and he's arguably the bet I mean, he's the perimeter defender for, for the Lakers, and, and that's huge. I mean, they got LeBron, and they got Anthony Davis, and Danny Green, and then it's just kind of, I mean, you know, Alex Caruso, but I just don't, I don't see the Lakers being able to beat the Clippers in, in the Western Conference Finals. What are you, I mean, I, I could, I think it's going to go I think it's going to go six, possibly seven, just you know the LeBron James factor in there. But if I had to pick a team to make it to the NBA Finals from the West, it'd be the Clippers. You're a little bit biased, obviously, but but what do you think?
1: Yeah, I am biased, Jerry. That's important to keep in mind. Um, <laughs> but I do think that based on what we saw from this series, of the Lakers this season, the Clippers won two out of those three games. Um, I do feel pretty confident in the Clippers' chances to beat the Lakers in the playoff series. Uh, I mean, for the most part, we haven't seen the Clippers' team at full strength this year. I want to say they've played eight, nine, maybe ten games with a full roster available. Um, and the majority of those games are played after the All-Star break when this team had Reggie Jackson and Marcus Morris in the lineup. Uh, and the Clippers had, I think, the number one net rating in the NBA post-All-Star break uh, and went seven and two in those games. Uh, one of the main losses to the Lakers there. Um, but I think you're talking about matchups, the Clippers, you know, LeBron and Kawhi, those two, I think, essentially kept each other out. Paul George, you get the edge over him, but Danny Green, Anthony Davis is someone Clippers are going to struggle to stop. Um, But I think it comes down to the depth is the biggest thing in this this series. Uh, Having guys like Lou Williams and Montrezl Harrell, uh, I think they give you a big edge over the Lakers. And the fact that your two stars, Kawhi and Paul George. You know, there is the whole playoff piece thing, where guys said that you know Paul George isn't great in the playoffs. And last year was tough because he had a shoulder injury and that sort of thing. Um, he's now 100 percent healthy. I think having those two guys in a series this big, um, I don't know. I, I just I feel confident. Clippers' chances to finally make it to their first NBA Finals this season.
0: I mean, you list out the top ten players from if, if you were to combine these squads and say, all right, pick your top ten and eight of the top ten are Clippers. I mean, while LeBron James is arguably the greatest player of all time, and Anthony Davis is probably a top five player in the league right now, it's just, it's it's that. It's it's, it's depth to a T. Yeah,
1: I totally agree. That's, that's the biggest thing, like you mentioned. You take the top ten players, and you have LeBron and AD in the top three, and then you have Kawhi and Paul George in the top four, and after that, it's basically all Clippers, like you said. Uh, this is... An incredibly deep team. Uh, And I also want to mention that this is a team that is ranked in the top five in both offensive and defensive rating. Um, So this team's two way potential is phenomenal.
0: Now, looking a little bit lower in the Western Conference, do you see the Pelicans getting that eight or nine spot by the end of this eight game stretch? They're they're playing, I mean, they were playing incredible ball (laughs) four months ago, which, you know, that can only do so much for you. But Pelicans are completely healthy. Zion's thinned up. What do you expect from the Pelicans come playoff time? Do you think they'll get in?
1: I think they have a good shot. Um, I saw their their schedule for that coming season, or that coming restart, I guess you can call it. Um, I definitely think they have a pretty favorable roster or uh, schedule. I'm sorry about that. Um, the fact that they were playing so well a few months back, I know. I look back at like their game log and that sort of thing. Uh, There were a couple close matchups there with the Lakers and I think a couple other pretty talented teams in the league uh, where they end up losing by, you know, five or ten points in those matchups. So I think they have the potential to rattle off a couple wins against, uh, you know, those teams in the restart. Um, I think the main competition we're talking with is 8-9 seed here. I like Memphis. Uh, I also like Sacramento. They're playing pretty good basketball after the All-Star break as well. Uh, I know their schedule isn't as... Uh, favorable as New Orleans uh, or Memphis, for that matter. But I do think this Pelicans will at least get that eight or nine spot and then be able to compete for the playoffs.
0: Sure. And then you look at the Blazers' schedule as well, and it's not easy at all. And and they'll be getting Zach Collins and Yusuf Nurkic back, so they've been a big concern for a lot of Pelicans fans. And I mean, more or less, people have kind of counted the Kings out of it. But I mean, and and the Grizzlies the pelicans have absolutely thrashed them the two times that they played each other granted the second time jaron jackson jr was out and i believe another one of their players was hurt as well but these probably three or four teams at the bottom of that 8 9 10 11 spot are all really talented i honestly think it just comes down to strength of schedule would you agree
1: I agree with that. I think, I mean, you look at the, the win-loss column, you know, the separation between these teams, either no games, a half a game, one game, it's all very, very close right now. Um, so I do think, I agree with you in that situation where I think the uh, the schedule strength is going to be the biggest differential here.
0: I'll, I'll shoot two more questions at you before we close. <laughs> between our two franchises, not so much, I mean, we don't feel that way this season, and the Pelicans have been pretty dismal in the last few years even with Anthony Davis but given the the history of our two franchises the Clippers and the Pelicans slash formerly the Hornets if our two franchises were to be sent to a second bubble like what they're doing right now for these last eight teams in the NBA? How would you react? Are, are, are you okay with this? I just think this is absolutely freaking ridiculous, to be quite frank with you.
1: No, I completely agree. Um, I was, I don't know, I'm still not very confident in this whole bubble plan. I know it's been backed by experts and that sort of thing. And I think the logic is there for the most part. Um, I think it definitely makes more sense for teams that are competing for something. But when you have these last eight teams that are, would essentially play for nothing in this second bubble, uh, I, I am right there with you. I think it's, it's outrageous. I don't understand the, the whole idea there.
0: My biggest concern for even the first bubble, and, and I've, I've mentioned this a few times before, is traveling to the bubble. Because from what we've heard, this is probably going to be safer for players in the bubble as opposed to being outside the bubble with their, with their regular lives where they're needing to go get groceries or they have kids around or, or what have you. But what if somebody makes it to the bubble and they they get coronavirus and it goes undetected? This is one of the most transmissible viruses that we're aware of. So so the travel is my biggest concern.
1: No, I completely agree. I think, I think there's a lot of things that factor into this. Uh, I, I mean, if I had to give you a number with like my level of confidence on you know, how likely I think it is NBA finishes this season in the bubble. I'd probably give you a two or three or a four. I think it's just going to take a miracle to finish this thing up. And if there's no massive, you know, coronavirus spread throughout the league. And then in the first, you know, couple of weeks, month or so of this, I'll be completely surprised.
0: Yeah, I I would probably say a four or a five. It's just... It's so clearly a money grab and it's so frustrating. Like, I understand the need to to stimulate the economy right now. Obviously we're opening up and and cases are exploding because people aren't wearing masks and because because we are opening up and there's much more contact with other people. But this is just I I to factor in the human part and, and subtract money is just it's, it's almost not feasible. And that sucks. That really sucks.
1: I mean, I think it's, it is a thing. I saw a tweet earlier this week where someone said that it's absolutely okay to be excited about basketball returning and also very much against this whole idea. And that's kind of where I sit right now. I just, I, I don't think it's right to prioritize finishing a season over the health of these players, especially when we don't know the long-term effects of this virus yet. Um, it's difficult. I mean, I'm excited to see basketball return again, but at the same time, I'm just not super comfortable with the whole idea.
0: Now, if we do, if we are able to finish, finish the regular season and get into the playoffs, make it all the way through into, I believe it's October. Would you, so, so you said the Clippers are your choice to make it out of the West. Do you have a pick to make it out of the East and, and who do you think is going to win the title? And, and if it's not the Clippers, is it the Lakers? Or, are, are you 100% on the Lakers if it's not the Clippers and, and so on?
1: I think to come out of the East, i got the Milwaukee Bucks. I think most people agree with that. Uh, Giannis and that team and Chris Middleton, they, they've been fantastic this season. Uh, I also like you know Toronto as a potential sleeper there. I think they've been really good this season. Uh, but I do think Milwaukee makes out of the East. And if you're talking Clippers and Bucks, for me, it depends on the day of the week on who's going to win that series. I could argue with myself all day long and <laughs> pick either team. I think it's going to be under six or seven games regardless who wins that. Um, and I think the same is true for the Lakers if they beat the Clippers and make it to the finals. I really couldn't give you an answer as far as if, if it's sucks or Lakers or Clippers. I just know that whoever it is, is going to go to six or seven games and it's going to be a very, very, very tightly contested series.
0: I'm going to say seven, it goes seven and it depends on the health of Paul, George, and Kawhi. Those are, those are my... Go ahead.
1: No, I agree. That's a big factor. Crazy. Yep.
0: Absolutely. Well, Garrett, thank you so much for joining us. And I totally didn't do this for Sabrina's, but we're going to put it in the uh, <laughs> in, in the uh, description for the podcast. Garrett, how can we follow you on Twitter? How can we see some of your
1: work? You can follow me on Twitter at GACorpending. That's G-A-C-H-O-R-P-E-N-N-I-N-G. And I am the deputy editor for All Clippers, which is a Sports Illustrated site. If you want to check out my work, you can go to si.com slash NBA slash Clippers.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us, Garrett. Absolutely. And there you have it, Pels fans. Two awesome conversations with Sabrina Merchant and Garrett Corpening, each from their respective employers, SB Nation and Sports Illustrated. Definitely, if you like this podcast, make sure to leave a rate and review Do it! here on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. And go follow at Elliot Clough, E-L-I-O-T, C-L-O-U-G-H on Twitter. You're going to be getting a ton of Pelicans content over there. And, of course, if you have any responses Any thoughts on the podcast or a recent podcast that is posted, you can always drop those opinions below and we'll discuss them later on in the coming podcast. And of course, you'll get a retweet as well. Make sure to go follow Believe on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And you can check out a plethora of their other podcasts on Believe.com or just head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you're listening to this podcast right here. And you can check out some more Pelicans coverage on Fansided's Hoops Habit website and of course, The Bird writes, both of my employers, and there's some really awesome people over there that do an incredible job of covering the Pelicans. Don't forget, leave that rate and review and go follow at Elliot Clough on Twitter. So once again, I am Elliot Clough, and this was Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans. (laughs)